The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the discussion of the offense. We had a passionate discussion about coaching positions needed uh, uh quality control on the offensive avoid that illegal formation play we had all kinds of talk about lamar uh we had discussions about the pressure that wink sent after lamar which was uh considerable in this game uh and, and joining me here again for part two is jason smith of huddle up films he's at huddle up films on twitter jason thanks for coming back Thank you, Ken. Yes, we got out a little bit of frustrations. Maybe uh, this will be a more positive, uh, more positive uh, section here. Looking ahead, yeah, we're gonna have some plus and some minus. I think so. <laughs> we'll get we'll get through it, and hopefully, uh, uh, we'll do this a little faster than we did the first show. But uh, but we'll uh, we'll start off by thanking our sponsor, and that is Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Give their product a try, please, uh, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, well, we talked a little bit about Lamar to finish off the last episode. One of the things that's been interesting about the Ravens offense this year that I, I keep bringing up because I am 
utterly baffled by it is the heaviness of the offense, meaning they are playing a ton of tight ends and fullbacks uh, and sixth offensive linemen occasionally um, on a variety of plays. And and uh, the number per play they're using is absolutely historic. And I thought they had, had reduced that. I actually thought I saw more three wide receiver sets in this game. Not really. Um, you know, the Ravens, I, I looked at it, they only had – two snaps of 11 personnel versus the Giants, according to NFL Faster. I'm not sure if that's 100% correct. They may have some misdesignation in there, but it's probably correct. Um, we still are seeing Oliver take a lot of snaps, likely get snaps. Uh, you know, Ricard is playing most of the snaps. Andrews is playing almost every snap. And you end up with 2.34 heavies per play, up from 219 last week. It's actually their second highest total of the season. They're averaging 228 per play. Just to frame that up for you guys, there has not been a single team in the last six years who's averaged as much as two per play. Uh, it, the Minnesota Vikings in 1999 were the closest, and they were slightly under two. And I don't have a great number for you because they, they probably played some pony backfield, uh, but they're right around two, 1.99 or two, uh, based on their uh, formation choices. So that's something I'd really like to look back in more historically, but we could be seeing the heaviest offense in decades uh, and the folks who have been listening to this show have uh, have heard a little bit about this already. Yes, and you know, I, I I'm 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 pretty comfortable in saying that a lot of that is game plan specific. But after a six game sample size, again against different shapes and sizes of defenses, it's definitely game a trend. In general, <laughs> right, right. So you know, maybe you see more of it against one team and and less of it against another team. But overall, it's pretty clear through six games that that's the way we're going to play it. Yeah, and I, I I don't think it's going to become less because I think this team, if anything, these last two weeks with effective running against Cincinnati and then again effective against the Giants, um, I would definitely project them to want to run against the Browns for a lot of reasons. But the, the Browns have some difficulty stopping the run. And the Ravens, have this is the way they've seemed to find themselves. And if you have a problem with receivers, you know one of the things you want to make sure you do is establish that run, be effective there. In fact, for one of the few times... Not, it's not it's not that uncommon, but there's a lot of talk on Twitter today about why did they stop running the football? I don't know that they did really stop running the football that much, but they got down to the five yard line and made three passes. That seems to have people fairly upset about what's going on. Um, the air comp- compressed field makes running it a little more difficult. But I, I I understand the comment. I just I I think I I I can't get too hung up about individual plays. I really want to see in general are they. Are they making more run-heavy choices on downs where they can do it? Um, I thought they did a fair amount of running in this game on second and long. You know, not a normal running down for most teams. Uh, it, it can be a normal running down for the Baltimore Ravens because that's who they are. Sure, Ken. And just getting back to the original point, 2.34 heavies per play. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not have the snap counts in front of me right now. I apologize. But I think that this is a function of, uh, of Isaiah Likely. I think this is a function of Josh Oliver being an actual receiving threat. I think this is a function of Pat Ricard being so valuable to the offense. So instead of, you know, if you want to say slot receiver, that's that's Isaiah Likely. He counts as a tight end, but he's a slot receiver, really. Uh, two things about that. First of all, he lines up in line some. Not not all that much, but he does line up in line some. And I, I noticed it happening this week, and I, I, I said something to Maureen at the time. So it was one of these things, oh, Likely lining up in line. He ought to have a good block on this play, like. I really believe that, but only 13 snaps for the game. 
And you're right. He does generally come in as a designated receiver when he's on, kind of like Andrews in his rookie year. He was a guy that not only was likely to, to, to you know, flex wide and not line up, you know, right at the line of scrimmage, but he, or, or uh, in line, I should say. Uh, but he was also a, got a very disproportionate target share for the snaps he was in, both in, in 18 and then even more in 19 when he was in. So they, they uh, likely is not yet there as a blocker and he's not the move tight end that he was kind of advertised to be coming out of coastal Carolina. I mean, you and I talked about that, you know, on around the draft time in terms of, of what he could bring this, uh, this team. And the, as a move tight end, he was, he was a little more exciting in some ways, uh, a little undersized, frankly, for a, um, a, a guy who's a pure inline blocking tight end. He's a guy you want to, you want to, be able to move around, maybe use in the backfield, maybe have your block occur, but in, in level two or three. Yeah. So uh, the reason I brought up likely wasn't necessarily for the number of snaps he's played up to date, but when I'm looking going forward, it just seems like Roman prefers those big targets instead mm-hmm. of a guy like Crochet, uh, especially now that Duvernay is being asked to not, not be your slot receiver, quote unquote. So you're going to have Charlie Kolar coming back, uh, and he can block in line a little bit unlike mm-hmm. likely to like, I guess when I'm looking at this, their best formation is some sort of 12 or 21. However you want to categorize Ricard. And a lot of times with Andrews as being one of those receivers or likely as being one of those receivers, that's where you're going to get the three, maybe even, maybe even four heavies on the field. Dare I say, mm-hmm. um, that is going to skew that number. So, uh, Ken, I would love to see Roman. It was something that uh, Jordan Coe, friend of the show, and I talked about last year. Spread those guys out and see how much more Lamar room Lamar has to scramble uh, and see how many more guys you can get out of the box. You know, we have a guy like Gus Edwards coming back. I would love to see him run against a lighter box and with the shiftiness that he has grown to show, you know, maybe that's back after his knee injury or a guy like J.K. Dobbins who can make a guy miss and have all this space. Uh, I would love to see us divert away from that a little bit, but I think that that comes back to wide receiver talent. And, you know, the most talented guys on the field right now are bigger guys in the slot, um, you know, especially with Bateman out. Yeah, and and you're not saying spread out the same heavies. You're not certainly not saying spread Ricard out somewhere to the sideline, but you're saying play him less snaps, put a wide receiver on the field in his place. Yes, sir. And, yes, yeah. sir. Thank you. So, Thank you. Yeah. So that's that's like running out of eleven, and that's you know very common now in the National Football League. Most teams prefer to run the ball out of eleven personnel. You you you, you take a heavy out of the box for the other team that has a lot of value, and and uh, uh, Ricard does not do that. He hopefully makes a good block for you. So at a at the point of attack, you have more than the other guy. Then I think what's really special about Ricard is that because he has all that point of attack value, he can bring you. He can also bring you value as a pass blocker on the edge too. Uh, but if he has all that point of attack value, he can give you. The defense then has to has to cheat towards that potential point of attack, and that's one of the ways in which the Ravens are spreading the line of scrimmage horizontally and creating opportunities right up the middle for Lamar. Lamar's having his best rushing year right now, and, and it's a lot because the, the the opportunities are just getting tremendously spread across the line of scrimmage, and, and defenders are running themselves out of position. Yeah, so you know, my the, all of that's true, so I guess my closing thoughts on that is I don't see that number changing a whole lot mm-hmm. with 
with the rookies being rookie tight ends being used and Ricard, like I said, other than the penalties as has played really well this year, uh, showed his importance, but I would like to see that sprinkled in more and uh, not be a last resort or, you know, I think Prochet was on the field the first drive and then, you know, wasn't on there after that uh, too much. But I remember one of the early plays we were in 11 personnel um, and it just kind of disappeared. It, uh, I, I, you know, I may have read the sheet wrong then because of, according to the NFL faster thing, we only had 11 personnel in the last two plays of the game. Was and, that it? Okay. Yeah, that, but that may tell me something's wrong because Prochet was in there for four total snaps. In fact, if I look at the, at the wide receiver numbers, and this is a, one way to do it, but they had four wide receiver snaps from Prochet, 13 from Wallace, that's 17, uh, 40 from Duvernay, 57. You get up to 102, including Deshaun, Wash- Deshaun Robinson snaps, and he led the team because he's going to be the X more often than that. So if you take 102 and you divide that by the game book snaps, which are 59, they only used 1.73 wide receivers per play. Which so again, that, yeah. uh, I was going to say that's a function of likely and Andrews as quote-unquote wide receivers. Um you know, it's still counted as 12 personnel, even though we're 21, 22 personnel, even though we had, uh, you get what I'm saying there, Ken. I appreciate he was on the field, but he's the only wide receiver on the field technically or something like that. That that has value, though, when when the other defensive coordinator has to look at your apparent formation and including tight ends, they have to make their decision on personnel based on that. And they have to say, oh, well. You know, they've got three tight ends on the field now. We have to do, if they're in 13, we have to go to our base defense or whatever. And that may not be the best way to cover those guys. If they, if they, if you get a, you know, one by two, a flex tight end, uh, you know, that way, you, you still can have three, you know, a slot and two outside receivers. And that could be difficult for them to cover with their base, uh, with their base personnel. This is what excites me about Kolar coming back because mm-hmm. he is a true changer of personnel in that way. So it, you can have Kolar. Andrews, Pat Ricard on the field. That's three heavies with two wide receivers, correct? Okay, so you can go four wide, quote unquote, with those guys and split Ricard, uh, split Kolar and Andrews and put them in the slot and have Ricard at tight end. Uh, you know, you or you could scrunch them all together, Ken, and run the ball down somebody's throat uh, with that same personnel grouping. So. Um, maybe that's where Roman's going with this heavy formation. I think Kolar can really help this team because of his ability to block in line. And uh, maybe he's a better receiving threat than Josh Oliver. Although Oliver, man, really showed out in that game uh, with right. a couple of amazing uh, acrobatic. You know, honestly, it's a, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches in a way because Oliver has played so well and it can't, can't minimize what he's done as a blocker, as a receiver, both he's been exceptional and he's earned his snaps. I mean, I don't see Kolar taking his snaps away. I think, you know, a healthy rotation, hey, that's nice. But I don't see him taking snaps away from from uh, from Oliver. If, they, if he comes back, Kolar, I'm certain he'll play some special teams. I'm certain he'll get on the field some. I just don't – I don't know exactly how they'll do it. But, uh, but uh, maybe a few less snaps for Andrews, which I think probably also would be healthy. That would be – yeah, right. That would be great too, just to get the man off the field. Oh, man, as we're relying on him so much. But – but Oliver, um, you know, on these down blocks, Ken, where he's coming across, when he's he just scrunching the line of scrimmage, he is really getting a lot of movement on there. You just see it from an effort standpoint, stands out. Like if he's do, if he's down blocking and then trying to work up to the second level, he is not cheating that initial contact, allowing McCarry to just take over this last game. And McCarry didn't have much work to do to seal that edge 
opening up big rooms. So, I mean, just hats off to Josh Oliver, who, you know, blocking was a weakness all throughout his career. And Greg mm-hmm. Roman challenged him last year, I believe, in a press conference and basically called him out and say, you know, if you want to play tight end here, you're going to have to block so I can mix up my formations. And, man, Oliver has done that this year. Big credit to him with the way Boyle, you know, is not being used to have him step up in that role. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's out snapping likely, and that's uh, it's not just Boyle. I mean, he's taking all of Boyle snaps because he, he kind of is, frankly, the better version of Boyle at this point in both of their careers. But he's also taking snaps away from Likely, who is now just a designated receiver, as I think we mentioned in the first show, uh, if, it, if it wasn't on this one. I want to go back to Andrews for a second, though, because he so much of the offense ran through him in this game. We, we had a Duvernay-centric offense against Cincinnati. But this was back to an Andrews-centric offense. 11 targets for 106. Even when they didn't throw it to him, they were looking for him first. You know, Lamar was obviously uh, you know, trying to, to, to get the ball there. And the other thing is when, when the other team's putting their coverage effort into Andrews, that allows you to do things with other receivers. So he's really generating a lot of the offense, even beyond the, the very nice 9.6 yards per target he had in this game. Um, but that did not – it did not actually come to – fruition or at least there wasn't much fruit in that fruition uh for the other receivers who had 21 uh 21 for 105 21 targets for 105 in this game so 5.0 yards per target uh for them might have have been 104 i'm thinking but whatever i i'm if i'm off by a yard it doesn't really matter uh lamar wasn't getting it done to any other receivers other than andrews no secret why the Ravens are looking for receivers or maybe they still are after the Sean Jackson move. But as for Mark Andrews, I mean, what a player it, 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 it showed with his move blocking uh, when he is asked to line up in line, his blocking in line. I mean, there's just, it's hard to find a weakness in his game right now. It really is. Um, you know, there were a couple of times I remember one specific example where he had two guys contacting him. He had two guys in his area and was still able to find a space. Nice throw by Lamar and making a catch when they were doing everything they could to chip him off the line of scrimmage and everything else kind of bully him through the beginning of his route, double teaming him through the end. Uh, You know, if, if you had to take one tight end right now and say, this is the guy I want going forward. If there was a draft, there's no question. Mark Andrews would be your first draft pick with his age and what he's proven on the football field over Kelsey, who's at the end and over Kittle and over everybody else. Mark Andrews is that guy. He is the, the now the present and the near future in tight ends. Uh, what a player, what an asset. It just not much uh, other superlatives I can add. Just Mark Andrews show buddy. And, and I like what uh, the only other thing I was like to add is it would be nice to take some pressure off Mark and get him out of the game and save him for a uh, potential playoff run where we're, we're definitely going to need him. Yeah, and I just I believe receivers do well when they're fresh legs in the game anyway. So if you can avoid, you know, on a 10-play drive, having him in there for all 10 plays, take him out for two plays here, one play here during a 10-play drive, and that that works wonders right there because those defensive backs are in there every play. They generally don't rotate at all. The Ravens did in this game, but but most other teams don't have that luxury in terms of being able to, uh, you know, shuttle guys in and out to cover a receiver. All right, how about we move on to the offensive line now, since I think we covered a lot of the scheme components there, and we we, we kind of normally handle that in the first show. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk about Ronnie Stanley, and 
Uh, we'll go through the comments here, but uh, look good in 50 snaps in this one. Only two negative plays. Uh, he had a pressure uh, that he gave up, uh, and I had early in the game. I know it, there are other sources that have him for zero pressures, but I have him as bold by Leonard Williams on the second-to-last play of the second drive of the second quarter, if you want to look at that. Second-to-last play, second drive, second quarter, bold by Leonard Williams. The other thing was, on the very last offensive play of the game, I had him given up a third of a sack. Now, there's no doubt about it. Thibodeau got around McCarry and was primarily responsible for that sack. So McCarry got two-thirds of the of the charge there. A third of it went to, to Stanley. And here's just explaining how my system works. I think I would have given a Stanley a pressure anyway on that play, although it might not have developed in exactly the same way. But Stanley got blocked right back in front of Lamar and he phone boothed the pocket. And Lamar normally would be able to escape from that pressure by Thibodeau or at least have a good chance to in terms of moving around the pocket as he normally would. But uh, but in that case, I I definitely call that a third to Stanley and, and two thirds to McCarry. So, Ken, just to take over here for a little bit, um, what do you think? It, it looks like to me that Stanley looks like the old Stanley. He's still going to give some on the bull rush. Uh, is His run blocking, it looks very mobile. Looks pretty much like the same guy out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled about that too. And and uh, yeah, we do see a guy, mobility is very key because he's he's that rare offensive tackle contributes on the backside of run plays. And there's two ways we saw it in this game. One is getting to level two and making some blocks even even on a uh, a run play going the other way. And he's not shy about going up and trying to find the the off corner or a safety somewhere who gets lost and and uh, and he can make a block on. Does not have to make a cut block and frankly should not make ever make a cut block uh, to try and uh, uh, make a contribution of the bigger, slower tackles. That's what they do. Uh, he had three blocks in level two in this game. They asked him to counter a fair amount four times on the counter. He got he scored on three or four of those. One only was by, as a free point as the trailer. Other people who've been listening to the show for a while know what I'm talking about, but uh, that trailing guy, as long as he uh, you know clears out the space normally and isn't presented with a block that he misses, he can, he can go through following the, the, the lead man and get a point in my system. I had two highlights in this game. One of them was really nice on the backside. And this one is something you see in Ronnie Stanley. You just don't see in many others because he's got that great wingspan. He blocked two guys on one run play going the other way. And he blocked, I think it was Thibodeau, just long enough that he knew Thibodeau was impeded from getting in the play. Then I think it was Tay Crowder came around the edge of the line of scrimmage. I think it's number 48 anyway. And he put a hand on him at the same time. And it was one of these great plays that you realize, man, I miss Ronnie Stanley and, and what he brought to this, this run game in terms of the creativity in getting an extra block made. All right, you've heard us talk about liquid death for a few weeks now, but have you started paying attention when you go to your convenience store? Did you notice those strange tall boys of beer, but they're in the bottled water section or they're in a store that doesn't sell alcohol, but it looks like they've got beer? It's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it brutally murders your thirst. It's infinitely recyclable. Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. Plus, they donate 10% of the profits to every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. And I don't know. For some reason, it seems like the water's always colder in a can rather than a bottle. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I had fun this weekend where I took a couple tall boys of liquid death to coach a little league. You put those right into the uh, dugout with a bunch of eight-year-olds, and you'll get some attention. You got some parents looking. Definitely get some attention. But no, I have to show everyone it's just liquid death. I'm just drinking water. 
in a dugout with a bunch of little league kids. So go get Liquid Death for yourself. Test it. Try it out. You're going to fall in love with it like I do. So go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with the store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Agreed. That place sticks out. I actually had three highlights uh, for him. One of these days we'll sit down and compare our highlight blocks of, if sure. we ever had time in a dream world, Ken, where we have all this <laughs> extra time. But uh, yes, great to see Ronnie Stanley back. So Pat McCary also played uh, a fair amount in this game uh, at right tackle. What did you think of McCary's performance? I wanted a great out Stanley before we finish. So see B plus for, for, for Stanley, just so folk, folks know. And a lot of people just kind of wait for the grade. No one I'll wait them. for the grade. Okay. Let, I'll let wait for the there. grade before I go, yeah. Ken. Yeah. My, my apologies, <laughs> sir. But, but um, I'll move on to Patrick McCary who came, came in for Stanley on that third drive. And, and the Ravens actually, that's the one they scored on the 30 yard uh, run by Drake. Uh, there had been some sharp division in terms of their success uh, with McCary and with Stanley in the previous game uh, where where they had scored 10 points, I think, on the first two Stanley drives. Then they had him for one more drive where they didn't score, uh, but they weren't nearly as successful with McCary. Well, McCary came in and, and they had a good drive. McCary had a good drive personally. One one missed pull on that drive. And then he had a few problems later on, but he wasn't he, he was good for the game. I would say a C plus um, did give up a half a pressure and then a two thirds of the sack on the play. We talked about the last one, the strip sack by Thibodeau. Um, that, that ended the game. That was his uh, it was his big negative play for the day. Went 0 for 1 on polls. Of course, a tackle, what are you going to do? That's uh, It's not that terrible. Uh, had one pancake, a C-plus for the game for McCary. Uh, very solid game. And, boy, if you are if you have any tackle who can come off your bench and give you a C-plus grade, that you, you're in rare territory in the National Football League. So let's hope McCary can do it. So far, he hadn't been that good this year, hadn't been as good as he was in this game so far this year. But hopefully this is a, uh, this is a good new trend for him. What an asset, Ken. And, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, Daniel Falalele, in, in essence, was the fourth option at left yeah. tackle. And he came in and, and did did okay for himself after, it, you know, a tough uh, – couple of series getting acquainted but uh having mccary there what what an asset we didn't have a chance to talk about falalele because he was on obviously another game and i'm i'm for in terms of how he scored in the games it was not good uh you know f f both games but i I saw it so much upside still in terms of of uh mccary it's hard to uh, it's really hard to be more excited out of a player who graded as poorly in those two games as he did uh, and and still, even with a lot of flaws, both of them ended up being high Fs as opposed to, you know, fall out of the bottom O'Neill Cousins or or some of the games that Hurst had while he was in Baltimore at left tackle. Uh, you know, we've seen some terrible games. Villanueva in, in some of the games he had. We've seen some terrible play at left tackle at times. But, uh, you know, Falele, high F play where you can clearly see things he's doing wrong mechanically, things about independent hand usage he just hasn't learned yet in his brief time playing football that you say – He's got steps forward he can make, and, and they seem to be coming even during this year. Yes, I was encouraged. Well said. I, you know, I didn't get a chance to speak with you after those games, but uh, for your four, like you said, McCary third option, even Falele fourth option out of position. Um, it, it was pretty pretty uh, impressive to me that he was. He didn't look like a fish out of water. He had his problems, like you said, but. Plenty of correctable things, things that you, you're confident in him learning. So shall we move on to the next lineman, Ken, or anything Absolutely. else we carry? No, How about Ben 
How about Ben Powers for you, Ken? Um, just continuing a solid run, as I see you have written down there. I uh, could not agree more. Powers, I think, has stepped up his game. Uh, it, just being a more consistent player, but also just showing up more as far as what I would call above average blocks. Not just making the block, but making heck of a blocks, clearing out spaces, pulls look crisper than ever. What did you have for Ben Bowers in this game? Yeah, so um, some of that I, I I certainly agree with. Two pressures allowed, and that's one plus two half shares. And given the quality of the defensive lineman in the middle, that ain't bad at all. I've taken it from the start. You know, given he's, he faced a little bit of Lawrence, faced a little bit of Williams. Uh, you know, Williams obviously a a, a big tough dude, the big cat, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a tough guy to get blocked up properly. And then they've got two of them in the middle. So you end up usually two on one, one on the other. And it's just, that's a very, very tough uh, uh, pair to handle. He did have seven missed blocks in this game as I scored it. Now that's a lot of missed blocks, but only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage, which is a big deal. So I, I've separated my missed blocks now into Times where they kind of were getting were getting beat, but the ball is out quickly on a pass play is often the case. It could be on a run play; they allow some sort of penetration, but the the running back gets back to the line of scrimmage or further. But they got beat. Um, you know, they don't score on that play, but there's bad there's zeros and there's zeros. And and what Powers had is six of his zeros came on pulls, so he had he made seven out of thirteen pulls, which is really not good. Um, he, he's certainly not in Bozeman territory in terms of a or or Ben Grubbs territory. He was a terrific puller in his day. Uh, in terms of making a really high percentage of pulls. Uh, he's now seven for 18 over the last two weeks, which is not what you want, 39%. Uh, but he did have four level two blocks. He had a pancake. Um, the, the one point I'll bring up, and I brought this up last week, but you know, it's always nice to talk about this with a new guest and, and get their opinion on this, uh, uh, Jason, is he needs to process for help blocks a little quicker. And he's in a situation right now where he needs he needs to sometimes give help blocks left and sometimes give help blocks right. Stanley, we don't know exactly what we have now. It looks like he's pass blocking at a level that is the old Ronnie Stanley, but I really wouldn't want to test that against a really top-end pass rusher. And Miles Garrett is coming to town this week, so he better be ready. On the, on the other side, he he had a, you know, a, a game from Linderbaum where he was completely outmatched physically by Dexter Lawrence, and he really needed to be help blocking uh, quickly to the inside where possible. Wink did not make that easy because he tried to keep a guy directly on powers to make that more difficult. Um, but we've also noticed some of the, when Ben powers is, has time to look what both ways before crossing the street, you know, I want that guy to, to, to go inside out with his processing. Do I need, do I need to, do I have anybody pick up on a stunt? Do I have anybody pick up on a blitz? Does the center need help? Does my right, does my left tackle need help? I, it, he, he's got to go through that progression or he's probably not going to deliver his help box in a, in a, in orderly fashion. And I, I see too much left, right, left, right in terms of his own line of sight to, to really think that he's going through that progression properly. I've noticed the same thing. And it's, it brings me up to another question for you. I've seen also Tyler Linderbaum have a few just crushing help blocks because powers was late diagnosing a twist or a stunt of some kind of game up front mm -hmm where Powers just stuck with his original man too long. And yeah. the guy who was who's crashing the inside would have crushed Lamar if Linderbaum's head wasn't on a swivel and if he wasn't processing uh, better. I think that Linderbaum helps Powers, and we, we but we've seen him play better this year. That Giants front, as you mentioned, 
It was a really tough group. I had powers down for uh, three or four plays that I thought were above average in this game, but just a, a really solid game. Yep. I've, I've got them for one highlight, uh, but, uh, but that's okay. Your three or four blocks are above average. Probably absolutely great. I know what that one highlight was. It was on the Drake touchdown run and powers followed Drake right to the end zone. And, and he was the first guy to touch him, I believe. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, B minus yep. for powers for, for the game. So very solid. He's continued a solid run. Let me bring up my spreadsheet here because some people like to hear just like, what are his grades for the season? But powers has been the one, I think the really bright light got a D in week one. Uh, a lot of that was that jets interior defensive line, which has some big bodies that include Quinn and Williams, uh, an a against Miami, uh, a C plus against new England B against Buffalo, a minus again against Cincinnati and then a B minus against the Giants. So he's playing some good football for five straight weeks here. Um, and you know, it's, it, he's a fourth year player. Uh, the Ravens are going to have to make a decision about him at some point here in terms of, uh, whether they, uh, allow him to walk and give the job to Ben Cleveland, uh, or whether they, uh, try and make some effort to sign him. I am glad to hear, uh, us on the same page with Ben powers after a couple of years of battling it out with him. But, you know, I, I'm not stubborn with my evaluations, Ken. You know, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I personally thought Powers was kind of at the he is what he is stage coming into this year. I think a lot of people were were with me like, man, why isn't Ben Cleveland? He's got all the upside. And, you know, just put the injuries for Cleveland aside for a second. You know, man, we're going with Powers again over Phillips, over Cleveland. And, man, you know, whatever the coaches were seeing in practice seems to – uh seems to be translating to the game. And uh, just going back to your scoring, there you go, Ken. The more talented, impressive fronts that are going to give most left guards problems. I mean, we've seen left guards on other team that can't hold a candle the, the way the Powers is playing uh, for us this year. They're going to give guys problems, but you put them up against a, a more average, a not superhuman force uh, like we saw with those New York teams and he's going to handle himself very well. So uh, is there anything else that you needed to add on powers? You said B minus. I, I, I get B minus for great. I think we might've said that already. Is there, is there any, who are the, is there any other player on the Ravens that you kind of rather see extended at this point than powers? Not really. Unless, not, not really. I think that I would let powers test uh, the market. I think we, we need a reset. We need some young blood in there uh, with, Cleveland looking, uh, you know, more questionable by the day. Is he, is he going to be able to stay healthy? Kevin Zeitler getting up there in years. He could be a potential cap casualty, if I'm remembering correct. Uh, uh, not that he's playing poorly, but uh, I think we're going to need some young blood at the guard position through the draft. Uh, it would be nice if you could maybe the only player I could think of, Ken, would be Justice Hill is up after this year. Mm-hmm. Um you know, who is, looks like he's putting it together, but then again, guard contracts and running back contracts aren't through the roof. So maybe just maybe the Ravens just want to play it safe with those guys and say, Hey, they're probably not going to command much on the open market. Anyway, let's, let's just wait. You know, maybe they're more valuable to us than they are for anybody else. And we can bring them back in the off season. How, how cool was it that the Ravens played it cool with the additional money that powers was making with the escalator? And still hung on to him when there was there was definitely pressure to release him. Uh, you know they, they they had their own cap issues to start the season, but the the fact that they kept him has really already paid off in spades at this point. And Ken, you know, if I was in charge, he would have been out of here. I, so I you know I have to admit when I was wrong. I'm I, I have 
uh, admiration for Ben Powers and the work that he put in. Uh, you usually see con- players play well in their contract year, but this job wasn't just handed to him. You know, we when he wasn't playing in preseason, I'm like, man, you know, is he out of here? I predicted on on Sarah and Bobby Trossett's vault show that, uh, you know, I thought he was going to be traded. I thought they were preserving him to trade him. They ended up trading Phillips. Um, so all the all the kudos to Ben Powers. Uh, we mentioned Linderbaum a lot. Uh, that tough matchup against Dexter Lawrence and uh, just getting pressured a lot. We mentioned it in the uh, first show. It wasn't disastrous as far as the results necessarily because Lamar Jackson was the quarterback. Uh, but Linderbaum got all he could handle from an absolute beast in Dexter Lawrence in this game. Yeah, and, and Dexter Lawrence was really the problem. I, I I I didn't try and go to look at any other service to see if PFF had graded him really high or whatnot, but I'm sure that he had a he had a very high grade in this game. Uh, four and a half pressures allowed. Actually, I, we look back at this, and I did find that one of them was to a two-thirds of a quarterback hit. But anyway, you can think of it as uh, three full and three half pressures. He missed seven blocks. Uh, five of those were losses at the line of scrimmage, and all of those to Lawrence. So those are times when he was getting pushed back or he got pushed back into the backfield on a run play that didn't end up going for a loss. Lamar ran him out of a pressure on one play, another shared pressure. So there were multiple other plays where he lost the rep to Lawrence uh, beyond those six uh, component pressures. This is, it's, I mean, Quinn and Williams, it was true in week one as well, but this is the worst it's looked like for Linderbaum on a size and length perspective this is this is he's he he hasn't been as good as the zero sacks allowed I mean I'll start with that and I give you his grades by game but he's had a couple d's before this one but but he's he's also been um playing with balance in the in the pass blocking game which was where I really thought he would have a lot of trouble um the last few weeks and and really since about week two uh I, I thought you know, that part of his game he, he done, but then all it takes is a 340 pounder to come to town uh, who's uh, long and very tough and low uh, to make Linderbaum get up on one foot a lot, be off balance, fall to the ground, get shed, all of the things that happen uh, when you're just a little bit smaller than that, that behemoth across from you. Well, Ken, I, you know, it may be a debate for another day. I, I, I don't, I didn't see a D type performance from him earlier in the year, uh, just to give my analysis here, but this game for sure, it was, it was a tough matchup. And, you know, I've been impressed with Tyler Linderbaum's strength as far as a phone booth. We've seen him anchor against some bigger dudes, even Quinn Williams. I have a couple of cut, cut ups of that where once he anchors and where he'll just shove a guy into the pile. And I'm like, my goodness, you know, I didn't see that kind of strength, raw strength from Linderbaum, but Dexter Lawrence, I think, if I had to say this, Ken, I think Dexter Lawrence himself was on his game. It wasn't just about him being bigger and stronger. He was a tough load to handle, like almost like, mm-hmm. man, I ran up against a pitcher who had his good stuff today. You know, I went over four, you know, but it wasn't uh, that guy was just playing out of his mind. I think Dexter Lawrence was playing out of his mind. Um, but yes. So, you know, in the run defense, I think is his strength. He was even struggling there a little bit, but uh, really just got overpowered in this game, Ken. Yeah, it's 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 almost unfair in a certain sense to have Linderbaum be graded under this. I gave him a, a very high adjustment for this, almost the maximum I could do. Uh, and and Dexter Lawrence still got to Zeitler for a sack. Uh, you know, a clean one-on-one 
sack against him. So it wasn't against like he was up against him every single play, but he certainly had him for the majority of snaps and and a very tough matchup uh, for Linderbaum. I will say he he looked a little better on pulls. They used him on the on as the front man on a lot of counters. He was four or five on those three blocks in level two. Uh, I didn't really notice a bad snap, and the fumbled snap definitely was all on Lamar. Is that the way you saw it too? No, actually, that snap was early. Um, oh, he, you're right. Yeah. Uh, well, Lamar said it after the game, but it was like Lamar was had just put his foot down. It wasn't like a, it was a silent count. And you know how that goes. Lamar will raise his foot. Thousand one snap. The Lamar had just put his foot down, looked for the snap, and the ball was right there. So. Um, yeah, I put that on Linderbaum. I think that his snapping, though, overall, Ken, is a strength. There are no floaters with this guy. It's it's fastballs coming back. Uh, another another plus for him. Um, but yes, it, you know, I guess you had to grade him uh, by the numbers on this one, Ken. Yep. So F uh, F for this game. And by the way, a high F. And and you know, we you can you can certainly at center, it's possible to have a really bad game with gives up tons of pressure like that, and misses a few blocks, and you can really fall off the table. Uh, in this game, he got a he got a seventy, uh, which at center is three point three points short of passing. So you know, still pretty good. Um, for, I mean, okay, still not fall off the table bad. Let's put it that way. Obviously, not that we you do not want to see this much pressure in Lamar's face. If I had really graded his adjustment different, I probably would have marked off about half that adjustment for the early snap on Lamar, though. I got to tell you this because that's something that. Um, I had kind of forgotten about it. I did hear about it after the game. I didn't process and put it together. So I was a little Ben Powers-like in my grading in terms of, of not putting the pieces together quickly of, uh, uh, of what should be. But I probably would have taken about half his adjustment away for, the, uh, uh, f- for that. Ken, I like the subtle joke in there. That, yeah. was, that was very nice. And I will say, too, on Linderbaum, before we move on, uh, I, I want to say two blocks in space on some of these pools or second level. Um, I don't track it as, as well as you, but a couple of big runs by Drake. Linderbaum's out there on space finding linebackers and just eliminating them. So the highlight plays were there for Linderbaum as far as his run blocking one space. I would love to see him be out in front of some of these pulls some more. So you mentioned Zeitler, the one really bad snap. Uh, how did you think he played? Uh, excellent. Other than that, he had only one negative event. That was a, a straight up sack to Lawrence uh, that, that ruined his uh, score. I think he was beaten outside on the play. If I recall, I got to look back at it, but that's my visual memory of the play. He was beaten um, right off the snap though, Ken. Yeah. It wasn't like a slow death. Yeah. It was just, he was just beat. It was a, it was a quick sack. You're, you're absolutely right. And he was beaten outside. Uh, it looked like it was the first play, of the last drive of the first half. So that that that, that happened. But anyway, uh, only missed two blocks. Otherwise, missed blocks are a good way to get your score reduced. Um, of those, one of two was a loss at the line of scrimmage. So really had a good day of winning at the line of scrimmage against some very tough interior defenders. He did get the fortune of getting more Nick Williams than Leonard Williams. So he got a little bit of Dexter. Those are always tough. Leonard Williams, much more tough than, than Nick Williams in terms of the uh, uh, the relative quality of defensive linemen. You mentioned something earlier, Ken, and as it relates to Zeitler, and I've, I've said uh, I've noticed that the right guard, I think, is becoming more and more important in the NFL to block those three techs and to be able to handle those studs one-on-one in the league. Um, but, yeah, the Giants kind of – they kind of got two of them, don't they? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, you know, really three. If you, It just depends where they line them up. But you mentioned it a little bit earlier in this in this portion of the show. It was either going to be Powers was going to be one-on-one 
or it was going to be Zeitler was going to be one-on-one, or they were both going to be one-on-one, and Linderbaum was going to just kind of look to see who needed the help. Um, you know, I just, again, I, I want to give credit to the Giants here as we talk about the O-line. This is the strength of this New York Giants team. Um, they were all over it. And, of course, with Wink playing his games, it doesn't make it any easier uh, when you have those studs up front. So, um, But Kevin Zeitler himself, Ken, what a signing for the Ravens aside from this game. Uh, how do you, you know, I'm a big fan, would have liked to seen him play a little left guard, even though he's a right guard because of his pulls. How did he do with his pulls in this game? Three out of four on pulls here. Uh, and and I, I would, the Ravens are back to a right-handed run game in this game. They've been switching back and forth, uh, but uh, they, they, they did not have great pulling success, but they had good success misdirecting the Giants offense that created opportunities with the run for both Lamar and for Drake. Uh, when they ran those counters and, and a couple of them hit. So Ben Powers obviously hit directly on the, on the Drake 30 yard run that opened up a, a hole of holes, the holiest of holes, right? Uh, anyway, a, a great, uh, a, a great uh, opening there. Zeitler would be in this game uh, before I move on to Moses here. So yeah. Uh, Moses going down on that turf, Ken, yeah. uh, with Ronnie Stanley, you know, already on a, on a pitch count here. Uh, just so glad to hear he was okay and standing on the sideline. And according to John Harbaugh available to be coming back in the game, if they so choose to, well, he got taken off on a card. Uh, <laughs> so we saw that happen. I didn't, I don't want to laugh. Him. Sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean, to I, laugh, didn't, but yeah. I, I didn't see him back on the sideline again, but he might've been, I mean, it's, 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 it's certainly very possible. I understand there was a discussion happening, uh, that he really wanted to go back in the game. But that's another one of these cases where this crappy field, why would you take that risk Ugh. with a player as important as Moses? I mean, it just it, it's we've already had a couple scares with Moses this year in terms of lower body issues, uh, injuries using the hockey vernacular uh, that uh, that really, you know, are concerning. This this thing apparently was not serious in the in the end. A heel injury, you never know quite what that is, but you know what we're thinking first is that it might be an Achilles. And, you know, the, just have them working on it all is is, is scary. I, I I didn't think there was any chance he'd go back in, honestly, and I'm glad he didn't. I tell you, Ken, I can see, like, sometimes, like, injury injuries is a luck-based thing. Let's face it. You know, you get, like, what Ray Lewis had happened to him when Adelius Thomas died, died dove into his arm. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who you are, your, your elbow is going to dislocate in that situation. But you mentioned that. You're right. I hadn't thought of this since I came on the show. Moses has had his ankle rolled up on a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Just some ugly looking stuff happened to him. And this man just is like the uh, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Energizer what was that? Bunny. Energizer, Energizer bunny. bunny. Thank you, sir. Energizer buddy. Funny. So uh, I don't think that it's like Moses has been completely lucky to play all these games and all these seasons in a row. Uh, there's something towards his flexibility, his durability. He's just built like a, uh, you know, he's very pliable individual, very skilled individual, but a huge bonus that it's not anything super serious. I was thinking like a, maybe a bone spur in his ankle or, you know what I mean? Something just mm-hmm. came up and started barking on that big turf. Um, but to have him, you know, potentially maybe maybe this weekend he'll ease into practice, maybe get a vet day or something like that. He's limited Friday maybe. Um, but mm-hmm. I would expect him to, if he wanted to come back into the game, I would expect them to want to play this week for sure. And it's going to be hard to keep out your solid right tackle, even though Ken been kind of a up and down game, up and down year for Moses. 
Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I, it's it's like the comment you made about a pitcher's got his really good stuff, and sometimes they have it, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they face a really top pass rusher, and it's just a more difficult thing. But but I, for Moses so far this year, I have had him uh, being fairly consistent. He did have one F, and the F was again, it was a fairly high F. The Ravens at any position have not really had a fall off the table F game on the offensive line this year. That's really big because those drag down your scores in a, in a big way, but uh, he had one F everything else has been a C or higher. He had two games that were A's. So uh, he's done well. This game, the two false starts um, weren't good, but he didn't have any negative plays in terms of any pass rush events allowed or any penetrations allowed on run plays that, that uh, ended up going for a loss. So you get a good payback from that. He only missed two blocks. It wasn't only 30 snaps played. Um, but uh, you know, very solid. Three out of four on polls. You, you you may have noticed this last week, but but he made nine polls last week. Yes, Ken. And I wanted to ask you about one specific poll. So he was asked to pull, and I thought this was like the headiest play of the game. I should have wrote down. I apologize, mm-hmm. sir. I was crunching the tape uh, as usual to get on. But he was pulling, of course, to his left. But he noticed some penetration either towards a blitzer or it was his own guy, and he stopped the pull, mid-pull, and cut off the penetration at the line of scrimmage, which actually was the smartest thing to do because he gave the running back a chance to beat the linebacker and make a move instead of getting hit in the backfield. Do you have that play by yeah, any chance? Yeah, I, 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 you- I think the one you're talking about is the first play of the second drive, which only went for a one-yard run. But the result is not as important. I'm getting a little feedback from you, my friend. Not sure How's why, that? but... Might be better. We'll we'll see. It's uh, okay. I definitely hear it. It might be me getting too close because I'm into the work here. So I'm going to back yeah, off the screen I, here. I, I I know how you, I know how it is sometimes, but that's I appreciate you doing that. But anyway, uh, he he uh, pulled late on that play. He was he was late, like getting into the pull. Is that the one you mean? I'm not sure. I just was okay. wondering in general if you noticed this because I'd never seen a Ravens defender or offensive lineman just making an adjustment and block somebody coming through the line of scrimmage before they even get anywhere close to the hole. Ken, like this was mm-hmm. like by the right guard, you know, or like right next to him yeah. by the right guard center. If you want to call it that um, for him to give up on the pull and to notice that. And yes, it was a short game, Ken. So it may have been the same one, but basically I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same play. Yeah. He stopped like a three yard loss, like dead to rights in the backfield type run into like a a positive play, which I thought was like, I don't know if that count as a missed pull or whatever, if it was his fault, but I thought that was really heady, man, really heady play by him. I, I, I agree. And if I've got the visual memory of the play, right, I did give him a zero on the play, but the reason wasn't because of what he did on his pull hitting somebody that was like, penetration that occurred the, the problem was that he was late getting into the pole late, okay late moving on the pole and that's why he lost it but uh but you're right i mean it, a puller who can adjust and make a play on the run make a decision on the run usually is always doing the the, the best he can to continue moving forward and avoid a u-turn situation u-turns you lose your momentum the whole point of being a pulling guard is you or pulling tackle or puller at all is that you have a bunch of momentum you weigh a ton uh, and, and you're you're going to hit somebody and nobody, defensive lineman, linebacker, nobody can stand up to you as long as you maintain that mon- momentum. We've had fullbacks in the past, Vontae Leach being the best at understanding how he needed to maintain momentum going into level two, three. And I'd rather have him make a level three block on a smaller player than try and turn, lose his momentum, and then try and hold up a linebacker who might outquick him anyway. 
yeah, I, you know, I just found that to be a unique play. Um, you know, I apologize for probably disrupting the conversation there, but I just found that to be incredibly unique. I'd never seen that in Greg Roman's scheme, or quite frankly, it just stuck out to me as, man, he was that the guy he was just, he's leaving, a, wait a minute, he's going to leave him unblocked, but then he's, what, what happened there? He just went and stopped. So that's a really fun play. Um, so what did you what did you grade him here, Ken? Uh, C C for the game. He, he lost six points due to those two penalties, which was which was bad. But neither of them, as it turned out, ended the drive. The Ravens were able to overcome those two uh, five yard pre snap penalties, whereas other ones in the game that did, they were not as fortunate with. Uh, but anyway, that's the offensive line as I scored it in this game, and uh, we took a little longer than expected. But you know what? We have we we don't talk enough anymore, Jason. Uh, we need more you know, do an occasional odd show maybe towards the end of the week on some specific thing we're seeing uh, for us to catch up on things. Cause I've really missed our conversations. I miss you too, Ken. I really do. And you know, one of the things that I would like to do is take better notes on the offensive line and maybe debate and show it on my channel. Sure. I can't, prom- I can't promise anything, but I'm always fascinated to do the offensive line with you. And when I'm like, man, why Ken? why'd you give him an F or why'd you give him a D? Sure. I kind of had him as a B like, to dig into your scoring system. I don't know how much of the sauce secret sauce you want to get away. Give away. No, there's no secrets all open kimono. Okay. So, um, but yeah, you know, don't hold me to it. Cause I'm really trying to get launch my stuff over here, but that would be great, man. We don't we'll, catch up enough. We'll we'll have, we'll have fun. We'll do one player one time all the way through every block graded. If you like uh, the, the big one for me. And again, I'm getting feedback from you. The, the, the last uh, play, uh, sorry, the last game McCary I had as an F, and and PFF had him with a pretty good grade, and okay. it's one of these things where where it just it uh, it was the perfect storm of how their system is different from mine in terms of weighting things because we all we agreed on all the individual events basically. So okay. uh, we we talked through that on the last show. Michael Crawford is on, and and uh, if folks want to go back to that, it's it's in part two of the offense from last week. Uh, it's a it's a. If you're interested in that sort of thing, if you're an offensive line nerd or you want to understand why I'm different from PFF, that's as good as explanation I can give you in terms of here's what I think the weightings are and here's how they're different. There you go, Ken. So, yes, I, you know, that would be great. That we, we need to do that maybe even on the bye week when we have extra time or something. Um, yeah, that sounds like I fun. Think it, I think it would be great to let the whoever's viewing that at the time decide. Hey, is that a, po- a main block? Do you consider that a main block or a miss block? Or how do you weigh it? And, you know, not to like argue with each other, but maybe we see, I mean, it's going to be obvious. It's like a drop or something. Was that a drop, Ken? Or was that just too tough a catch? Was that an error or not an error kind of in baseball? Um, to just kind of debate come some of the close ones. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Be, be all kinds of fun. I'd be up for it. Uh, let's move on. Talk about the the other skill position players we haven't hit on. And I think we've hit on most, so we don't need to take a lot of time. But maybe if there's a player or two we haven't discussed here, who would you like to talk about? I would like to talk about Duvernay a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, I think that overall the fans, just as a, as a whole, got a little too hype from his production. Um, I still have some of the concerns that I had coming into the season about Duvernay as far as him getting himself open. There are so many things I love about Devin DuVernay, Ken. Um, just him as a player, you know, personality-wise, hard-nosed. I mean, you see him, in; he is not trying to go out of bounds. He is trying to get every single yard he can on the sideline. Um, excellent returner. His hands, Ken, are out of this world. Like I, I, I said earlier, I've never seen a guy built like him. Not his height, 
just think about his build, like built like a bodybuilder almost, mm-hmm. really stocky. Have that kind of catch radius and nail it. Like he'll get a fingertip on it and catch it. But I still worry about him. Like I think that if you're asking him to do what a route runner like Bateman is doing, that he can't he can't do that consistently. Um, you know, he might beat you on a slant, but he the whole route tree is not open for Devin Duvernay. Um, so I would like to see, you know, like we mentioned to Sean Jackson, if he's going to be out there and be the speed option to get Duvernay back in his, let's get him five, six, seven touches even if we can in the role that we're normally doing, manufacture these bubble screens, get them in the backfield for a couple of plays, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Um, but that's the guy. I think that, you know, just aside from this game, Ken, this game kind of, I don't want to say exposed him, but it, it kind of, he went, he came back down to earth and we saw, you know, maybe what I consider his limitations as a receiver. That's a fair statement. I mean, he didn't, he didn't really get a big separation. He's been missed a couple of times in recent weeks too, on, or, or at least once on, on a deep ball against the Bengals or the bills. And the goal line here, Ken. Yeah. And the, the goal, goal line, line here. here. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's all really been his fault. I think he's been very reliable as a receiver holding onto the football when it's there, but, but you're right. There are some separation issues that, that he has to always, uh, found a way to wiggle uh, a guy off at the top of the route. I do wonder if that's something he can improve at by going to a receiving school. But there's something about having uh, the combination of long speed and height that is more dangerous and instigates more wrong first moves from a uh, opposing cornerback than someone of Duvernay's build necessarily does. And that said, you know, hey, Antonio Brown, A.J. Brown, you know, they're more like Duvernay's size in terms of, of what they are. And those guys can still wiggle a little. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I didn't mean this to be a, a Debbie Downer. I, I love Devin, Devin Duvernay. I think he's a big part of this offense going forward. But asking him to be a, you know, to be a pure route runner and to, you know, not get him the ball in creative ways, I think it's stretching him. You're going to lose some of his effectiveness if if you ask him to run a bunch of routes out there. Right. I, I agree with that. Uh, and, and there's so many ways he can help you in the way the Ravens really need. And and wide receiver screens are another good misdirection component to your offense. You can even fake it and then come back to a run concept out of that. Come back even to a sidecar handoff uh, after a after a fake or a, or a draw play uh, that, that, that he can still drive your run game, even if he's sitting way out on the edge and never and never runs jet motion. Uh, let me move on to a different player. Uh, we've talked about Drake a little bit. I don't think we really need to talk more about him t- today. Uh, Oliver, we talked about a little bit. I think he really needs to get his due here. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring him up briefly here. Uh, obviously he's out snapping everybody, but Andrews at tight end right now, which is, which is really nice. This is a, this is a guy who's, uh, coming through another guy. I wouldn't mind if the Ravens try and find a way to, to get him signed. Um, he is the kind of guy I think if he tests the market, he might be back on a vet min deal or maybe one of these two years, $3 million deals, which has just a little bit of bonus in it because he's worth more to the Ravens than he is to other teams and, and still could be a cheap player for a couple of years. You know, I, I hadn't thought of him as an extension candidate, but I, I actually could see it. I mean, we do have a lot of tight ends, well, three that are part of the future, at least with uh, yeah. Andrews, of course, and, and the two rookies, but Josh Oliver, um, you see what quarterbacks do, Ken. These higher picks, like a first-round pick, could bomb, and he's still going to get all like Rashad Perryman. 
He's still going to get other opportunities and still going to be in the league because of his physical abilities. And remember Josh Oliver coming out of a small school. If he would have done what he did for um, Alabama or something, he would have been a first round pick probably even as a tight end because of his ability to stretch the field, his speed height combo that you were just talking about. So yeah, you know, I had never, I hadn't thought of that, but if you want Josh Oliver back as your fourth tight end that you know you're going to keep, uh, you know you're going to have four of them. Maybe like the Eric Tomlinson with a little more uh, receiving upside um, to try to cut another team off and to give him an opportunity as like a number two tight end. He might say, look, man, I was almost out of the league, traded for a conditional seventh. Yeah, I'll take this couple million or whatever whatever number you want to put on it, Ken. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you know the Ravens are going to have to start making some smart near vet men deals with guys who make sense for them. And he's, he could be a, you know, a fit like a glove player in terms of being the fourth tight end on the Ravens that really doesn't make anybody else's top three. And most teams, Hey, they don't carry four tight ends. So, you know, you don't, you don't have a problem with that. Uh, you know, I, I do always concern myself that, that a, the team like the Patriots or somebody who likes to have good special teams players is going to want him because he's done that well too. That's true. That's true. And I haven't spent as much time on special teams this year as I would have liked, but yes, I do see him out there. And of course, that's a big part of whether you can be active, whether you can contribute uh, when you're not a starter. Anybody else you want to talk about? Uh, I'll let you have the last pick of the night because I think we've covered most of the other guys, but there there may be somebody else. You know, I can, uh, you know, just a short discussion on Isaiah likely. Um, We saw his shake and his ability to separate and to leave somebody in the dust. Um, And, you know, I just would like to say that this at this point, he's just so far behind, not only physically, but mentally as a blocker. That I see him as just strictly a receiver going forward. I don't see him as a, excuse me, a true formation changer. Like if, if I'm the defensive coordinator and I see Isaiah likely I'm uh, coming out on the field, I'm definitely not putting an extra linebacker out there. Maybe I put it, maybe I go to a dime package, put another safety out there or yeah. something like that. But, uh, but yes, I, I don't see him as a formation changer, uh, which would be one thing that I would caution the fans. You really have to think of Isaiah Likely as a slot receiver at this point in his career. Well, they brought him on the field mostly on obvious passing downs. So it's not really like the the, the opposing defensive coordinators making too many difficult choices with regard okay. to Likely. So that there's there's that. But let me ask you maybe another question, challenge you on this a little bit. So likely right now, I would agree, is nowhere near where he needs to be as a blocker. We saw all kinds of problems with holding penalties in the preseason. We thought they'd be correctable. From my way of thinking, I don't think they, you know, he may he may not have holding penalties because he knows what to give up, but, he, but he's giving up on too many blocks now, or he's not making, you know, a good block to start with when he's on the edge uh, when that happens. And honestly, he's, he's not being put in that position as much as, as he might have been if he were an occasional inline or a guy who you'd motion pre-snap sometimes. He's just he's, He hasn't been really put in that position to, to try and make blocks and impact the play in that way. But if you look back at, at Ravens over the past few years, Mark Andrews came into this in this league and was thought of as a very limited blocker initially. You know, Oliver thought of as a very limited blocker before he started turning it on the last year and a half or so with the Ravens. Um, is there hope for a player like Likely to pick up what the Ravens – plan is for him become a much better blocker maybe with some offseason training maybe just in camp next year maybe 
you know, evolving as the year goes on and taking his blocking as a more serious part of, of his set of responsibilities in order to earn more snaps with his team. I would say next year, I would expect a step up because quite frankly, at this point, um, you would have to, you would have to right now. He's, he's basically, you know, I don't want to see anything over the top bad, but he's not a blocker at this point in his career. I think next year with a little bit more strength training um, and just IQ getting used to the system a little bit, uh, the game's slowing down for him. I think that he'll be close to serviceable, but no, like I think being, 6'4", 240, which is the size of Derrick Henry pretty much, is just not a guy with shorter arms, is not a guy that you can trust to block in line. I mean, even if he puts on 10, 15 pounds, that's still not the size of Mark Andrews, not the size of Josh Oliver, height, length-wise. He's just not built like that, man. Like I think that, that if he was, he would have been drafted maybe the first or second tight end off the board. But the reason I had him down – um you know, out of that range, like why I had guys like Kate Otten ahead of him, Greg yep. Dulcich ahead of him, Trey McBride ahead of him. Um, you know, it was because that he's, he's really not a tight end in my opinion. He's more of like, I could see him becoming a Pat Ricard type blocker. Um, obviously not as devastating, but a move blocker. I don't think that you're going to be able to ask him to to do much more than that because of his physical limitations. So next year, yes, maybe he's able to handle more move blocking and those kind of responsibilities. But I quite frankly, I don't ever see no matter how many weights he lifts and, and that kind of thing, him ever being a uh, uh, an inline blocker. And if he were to do that, Ken, it would take something off of what he does well, probably, which is his receiving quickness and all that. Right. I, I mean, that's a that's a very valid point. And um, it may mean he's he just honestly never reaches that optimal combination of blocking and receiving that he needs. So if 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 he's going to maximize his value, it's probably as a Hayden Hurst type tight end where he can occasionally line up in the backfield. Blocks all come in level two and level three, not in line, but he's but he comes much more conscientious conscientious as a run blocker in space. There you go. See, we got into my wheelhouse there, Ken, the player evaluation, man. That's what I was blessed with. (laughs) All right, my friend. Fantastic to talk football with you. Great, uh, great show. And uh, thanks for, you know, staying late here and and, uh, spending your evening with me. Uh, Folks out there, we hope you all, all enjoyed it. One more time, you're at Huddle It Up Films, and that is your YouTube channel as well as Huddle It Up Films. What's your feature this week on that channel? Sure. Our weekly show. I will have cut-ups coming out on the channel all the time. Malik Harrison. Uh, I'm going to do one on Travis Jones. I, I may do one on Josh Oliver. Uh, I picked a couple of offensive players I wanted to look at too. But the main thing is Wednesday night, 8.30 Eastern. You can catch the replay too now. If, you don't, if you're not there for the show, go ahead and watch us. And what we do is we'll take a look back. We'll take a look at what's happening now with the injuries. And we'll take a look at the next game. Have a good time doing so, man. A, a nice, relaxed conversation, but still very informative with Sergeant Garnett West and Miss Ashley Priyanka. Um, just the backbone of our program. She's very shy, but man, is her football perspective great. Um, and we do a little film study on the program, too. As long as we can get away with it, I'm going to keep doing it. But uh, yeah, Wednesday night, I call it Huddle It Up Live on YouTube. It's also embedded into Twitter, so you should be able to see it um, on there, too. I tweet out stuff. So Please join us. I would love to have more interaction because it's the most fun I've had doing content, quite honestly, Ken, is this live show. 
Okay, out- outstanding. Uh, we're we're going to try and move to more live shows the rest of the season. Have we had one on? Forget it was defense or offense, but it was fantastic participation and and uh, really appreciate it. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter's. You know what I'm looking for in terms of a nice narrow topic. Uh, Jason, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. Football's family. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.